The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is a wonderful sermon preached by Elder Luke Laird, former pastor of Five Mile Primitive Baptist Church down in Akron, Alabama, regarding the work of Christ. Brother Luke sets forth clearly that our salvation is based solely and wholly upon what Christ did for us on the cross, and that the new birth is the result of the direct operation of the Holy Spirit upon the heart of the elect child of God. Brother Luke's examples and explanations set forth to us clearly that eternal salvation is solely of the Lord. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
the 16th chapter of Proverbs, it says, The preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now we have this contrasted to all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Well, I preached on the fourth verse this morning, but I want to back up and look at verse 1 and 2 this evening. Verse 1 says, the preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I've got news for you. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? All right. And the point is, is that we don't have to teach folks to sin. They come here perfectly equipped to do so. Uh, you don't have to teach children to covet. They learn mind in a hurry. And we know that. We, we've seen that. We've witnessed it. Nature even shows it to us that we, left to ourselves, are sinners and all we desire is the lust of the flesh thereof. And that's what we live by. However, when the Lord, he says, a new covenant will I make with the house of Israel. We can find this in Jeremiah. We also find it over in Hebrews. New covenant will I make with the house of Israel. When he talks of Israel, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel is those uh, one who prevails with both God and man. And I will tell you that, brethren, we prevail. And the reason we prevail is not because of who we are or what we've done, but it's because of who our Father is. And because he has set his affection upon us. Now, if you ever go back into the ninth chapter of Romans and you take a look at that, if there's ever been anyone in the history of mankind to have a claim to something, it would have been Esau. Uh, Esau was the brother of Jacob. They have the same mother and father. Matter of fact, they're twins. They're born at the exact same time. And if anybody had a claim to anything, it would have been Esau. However, God, to prove and show the immutability of his counsel, said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And God meant exactly what he said. Now, this shows us that God's affection was set on. And if you look at Jacob, Jacob was a rascal now. Uh, he, was, he was rough. But you see, God didn't love Jacob because of what Jacob was going to do or what Jacob was going to fail to do, but God loved Jacob because he loved Jacob. <laughs> and he was sovereign in his choice of Jacob. Now, when we understand that choice in Jacob, we can understand the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. One time, and I, the best way I can prove this or explain this particular text is, Ty and I were watching. We used to love to watch RFD TV when he was a little fella. And they, had to, they were having a video auction. If you've ever seen a video auction, they were selling cattle on there. And they had six of the prettiest little black Angus heifers there on the screen. He said, Daddy, we need to buy them heifers. And it was lot number so-and-so. What he didn't realize is that was 318 wheeler loads of heifers. And we'd have had no place to put that many heifers had we purchased that lot. But what they were showing was a lot. That's a representative of the whole. So what they're saying is all three 18-wheeler loads are going to look like these heifers right here. Right. Now, I'm going to tell you that Jacob, the Lord's portion, is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. That means Jacob is a representative of all of God's elect. All right, that's what he's setting forth there. Jacob, and when you hear the gospel to Israel, a lot of people today you know, I had somebody tell me, they said, well, the U.S., if we turn against Israel. I said, son, the U.S. has been turned against Israel for a long time. I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't talking about the nation Israel. I'm talking, I'm talking about spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel is what's under consideration there. 
So Israel is representative of God's people. Now, left to ourselves, surely man can justify himself. And did not the Lord say that they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick? Now, I'm going to tell you that <coughs> Paul said it this way. This is a faithful saying and word of all acceptation. Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, when he makes this statement, the point he's making is the gospel is not to those who all the ways of man are cleaning his own eyes. Paul said he had that view at one point in time in his life. He said, I was alive once without the law. Hebrew of Hebrews is touching the law blameless. But something happened. The day that the Lord Jesus called him by name, something happened in his life. And I'll tell you what he tells us that happened. Sin became exceedingly sinful. That commandment that was ordained unto life, he found it to be unto death. You know what happened to him? He was convicted of sin in that moment. Because he realized that law was not one that was just out there. But now, you see, this law is written in the tables of the heart. A new covenant will I make with the house of Israel. Now get this part, because this is just as important as it was then. They shall no more teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. They shall no more teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. <laughs> I'm thankful that I don't have to teach somebody to know the Lord. I can teach you about the Lord. I can teach you what the Lord's done for you, but I can't teach you to know the Lord. That's not my responsibility. Praise God that it's not. If it were, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't work, I couldn't hold down a job. I would have to be trying to tell people about the Lord all day, every day, if I thought that was incumbent upon me. But he says, this is no longer your responsibility. I no more teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. Why? He says, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. Jesus Christ, Matthew 1 and 21. I love this text. She shall bring forth a son. <laughs> His name should be Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And I'm going to tell you they're going to come to him in two ways. But they can prove this in Scripture. The first way that they come to him is in that of regeneration. Because Nicodemus was told, he says, how can a man be born again? This question is posed. He said, how can a man, being old, enter his mother's womb a second time? He said, I'm, I'm not talking, I'm going to paraphrase for a moment. <laughs> he said, I'm not talking about a natural thing. I'm talking about that which is spiritual. And he goes on to say, the wind bloweth where it listeth, not knowing whence it cometh, nor whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit of God. And I got news for you. If they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, they're going to be in glory when Jesus Christ comes back. Why? Because they're his. Because when he calls them by name, and it says every one of them. Now, I want you to know this. You cannot control the wind. I learned that at a very early age. I think I was about 14 or 15. I was helping my aunt's friend move, and she was moving over to Meridian, and she moved on to a lake over there, and she had one of these wind surfboards I thought it was the coolest thing. And I said, would you teach me how to ride that thing? She said, if you can learn how to balance on it, I'll teach you how to ride it. I guess she didn't think I was could balance on it and I got out there and it didn't take long it's difficult when you're standing on a board in the middle of the water and you pull that big sail up to try to pick it up because when it comes out of the water all of a sudden it releases and you splash down you fall off the board 
But it didn't take me many tries, so I figured it out. And about that time, a gust of wind came along, and this was fun. I was going across the lake. And it was real fun until I run into the lilies on the other side, and there were snakes and everything everywhere. And I, there I was. And, and I couldn't, I had no idea what tacking was. Didn't know how to sail, but I knew how to go. I went. And there I sat on the edge of the lilies, trying to drag myself out of the lilies so nothing bit my toe off. And uh, here come a guy on a boat, and I flagged him down and said, hey, drag me back over there. The point is this. The wind blew me across, and as bad as I wanted that wind to change direction and blow me back to where I came from, I couldn't do it. I didn't have control over it. Anybody that thinks they have control over the Spirit of God then what I would beckon you to do is the next time that a hurricane's coming in the Gulf, just go down there and say, peace be still. There's only one that I know of that has the power to do that, and that's the same one that has the power to call one dead and trespasses in to alive in Christ. Okay? It's only one that's proven he has that authority because he hath authority over his entire creation. As a matter of fact, just to prove that little point while we're there, I want you to consider the time that he's walking on the road to Emmaus. He's walking with these individuals. And they, their countenance is down. Why? Because have you not heard what's happened? They've crucified the Lord. And as he walks with them, he begins to expound in scriptures, beginning at Moses, all of those things that were testifying him. I'd love to heard that sermon that day. But then, you men of Galilee, why stand you there gazing into the heavens? You see, Jesus just went straight up into glory. You see, brethren, gravity weighs us down. But Jesus Christ superseded gravity. You know why? It has power over the whole creation. I teach eighth grade science, physical science and chemistry. They're learning about waves right now. You know, you can't hear a sound in space. That's amazing. Sound waves can't travel in space because there must be vibrations of particles and matter for sound waves to carry. If light waves worked the exact same way, life would not exist here. I guess the fellow what made it knew exactly what he was doing when he spoke into existence. It's amazing when you see all of the testimonies of God and the power of his might. What I want you to understand is this, brethren. Every little single child of God, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. Not only born of the Spirit of God, there's coming a day, brethren, when the dead shall hear his voice. And we have this testimony in John 5 and 25. He says, The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. And he says, Marvel not at this. He says, The hour is coming now is. That means it has been happening and is happening now. When Jesus Christ calls one this dead and trespassed sin, they're alive in Christ. He said, Don't marvel at that. As great as that is, there's coming a day when they are in the graves. And that's going to be the morning of the resurrection. And I'm going to tell you, brethren, that's going to be a morning that will never end. Amen. That's going to be a great day. No more night, no more darkness, no more sin, no more sorrow. I'm looking forward to that day. But until that day, we need to know these things. Man in his own eyes. You know, if I leave this perfect law of liberty, we can be like a man looking into a glass and you know, if you shaved this morning, you brushed your teeth, you looked in the mirror, you know, you can leave and, and forget what your reflection kind of looked like. Sometimes we can have a little higher image of ourselves than what we actually were when we looked in the mirror, right? Sometimes when we quit looking into that perfect law of liberty, 
we get a little self-justified look at ourselves. When we come back and get in God's word, we realize that we're nothing and less than nothing. Left to ourselves, the very best that we have. That's what the Bible says now. It says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The very best we have to offer. So, man left to himself can be think very highly of his own self, of his own self and his own thoughts. It says, but the preparation of heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, they shall no more teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Why? He says, because this is the work he's not going to leave to anybody else. He is going to accomplish this work. He says, I, God says, I will put my laws in their inward parts and write them in their minds. And they shall, I love them shalls, they shall be unto me a people. Now, I want to go back over real quick. Why is it that man needs preparation of the heart? Because the heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? We come here with an old stony heart. But in Romans 5, it sets forth some things, and y'all all know this. This is no new text, and I'm not going to bring anything new to you. I hope I never bring anything new to God's people. There's no new thing under the sun, by the way. If somebody brings you something new, I don't know where they got it from. <clears throat> Had to be out of this world, I suppose. Uh, but in the fifth chapter of Romans, it says this. The twelfth verse. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now David said it this way. David said, in my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. He's not saying that his parents uh, had a uh, relationship outside the bounds of marriage. He was the youngest of all of his brothers. He wasn't saying there was something wrong with the relationship of his mother and father. What he's saying is the point in time that he was conceived, he was a sinner. If you're a sinner, you're also alive because dead folks don't sin, right? So that's a very important point. So here he says the reason that is, why is it that we're sinners? Because of our father and our father's father and our father's father all the way back to when Adam transgressed. You see, when Adam transgressed, he plunged all of his posterity into death. Now I want you to get that. Death. That's what we were plunged into. God said, in the day thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And I'm going to tell you that mankind at that point in time died. They were gone from God. Okay? Removed from God. That's the condition we find ourselves. Now he goes on and says this. Wherefore is by one man sinned into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. He said, sin's not imputed where there is no law. And he says, law didn't come to Moses. He says, nevertheless, now get this, because this is an important point here as well. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. He said, sin's not imputed where there is no law. But nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even on them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Now, you ever tried this defense? You get pulled over on the road, 
And he says, sir, you were speeding. Well, what is the speed limit? Well, it's 45. Well, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know doesn't hold up in court, does it? I mean, Brother Chris can tell you that. <laughs> That's not going to hold up in court. Your knowledge of the law or your ignorance of the law cannot negate the law. Y'all got that? Now, he says, the law was not until Moses. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even on them that not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Why did people die prior to Moses before the giving of the law? Because God said, in the day thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay? Now, does a person's knowledge of why they were dying have any impact on the fact that they were dying? Clearly not. That's what it shows us right here. It shows us, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even on them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. You might say, preacher, why in the world are you getting so excited about folks dying? Because <laughs> I can get just as excited on the other side of the page. You see, if your knowledge cannot negate the efficacy of the law of God, then the law of God that says live, neither can your knowledge negate that. Y'all follow that logic. You see, if your understanding and knowledge of the law can't change the fact that you die by the law, your knowledge and understanding of the work of Jesus Christ can't change the effectiveness of that in one iota. Amen. Because if Jesus Christ died for you, I've got news for you. Whether you know it or not, you're going to be in glory. Amen. If that didn't happen, then he died in vain. I'll tell you, it, it, it makes my feathers get ruffled. When I hear people talking about somebody stealing something from Jesus Christ. You know, you have preachers all the time these days. Not, praise God, not, not any I've heard here. But, oh, Satan's just robbing people from Jesus. Well, if Satan has that authority, why don't you worship him? Because I'm going to tell you, the Jesus I serve, Satan hath no dominion over him. As a matter of fact, the, the, the unclean spirits, as he walked among people, came out of folks, and he said, you don't tell nobody who I am. You know what they come out saying? Oh, thou son of God. Knew exactly who he was. You know why? Because the Jesus we serve is powerful. His, his mighty arm hath brought us out. But I'm going to tell you, you're a blessed people. Because not only has he brought you out, but he's revealed unto you that he has brought you out. That's a glorious thing. Now, here he says, The law was not unto Moses, nevertheless death reigned from Adam and Moses, even on them not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, which is the figure of him that was to come. But not as offense, so also as the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more... The grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, had abounded unto many. Just like Adam's work abounded to all that are his, I want you to know that Christ's work abounded unto all that are his. All right? And sin did abound. There ain't no doubt. We can see it. Sin did abound. But praise God, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I love that. <laughs> Unto him that can do exceedingly abundantly above. I mean, I love the adjectives in God's word. It's amazing. We're sending abound. Grace did much more. It didn't just get you halfway there. It didn't get you part the way there. I'm telling you, it much more abounded and carried us home. You understand? Amen. Just like he promised over in Malachi, I believe it was. He said, he said, you try me. 
You try me and see if I don't pour out a blessing you cannot consume. That's amazing how the Lord works, isn't it? Isn't it good that he doesn't run out of stuff either? So here we have laid out very clearly. Our condition left to ourselves is, is pretty bleak. It's pretty grim. Now I want to go and, and look at an example found in, in 2 Samuel. Now to kind of set this up, over in 2 Samuel in the 14th chapter, uh, you're going to find where Absalom has killed his brother. I think it's probably justifiable in what he did. That's just me. For what Amon done, it was bad. It was horrible. But because of his transgression, I want you to get the beautiful picture here. You see, because of Absalom's transgression, he's been separated now for many years from his father, the king. Sound familiar? <laughs> you see, brethren, you and I were separated from our king because of transgression as well. Not because we're sinners by just nature alone, but we're sinners by commission. We fight sin on a daily basis. It's a constant warfare. The spirit warth against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. They're contrary. They don't live in harmony, folks. It's a constant battle every day. Because of this transgression, the son of the king has been removed from the fellowship of the king. Now, I got news for you. I want you to also get this. <laughs> he's still his son, even though he's exiled. He's still his son. I got news for you and I. You know who his sons are, his children are. I'll tell you, he does. <laughs> the foundation of God standing sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And then he goes on to say, let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. All right. But what I want you to know is there's a book that's been sealed from before the foundation of the world. And then this book's the names of the offspring and heirs of God. <laughs> And they've been secured by something. Now, while we're here from time to time, we feel as though we're exiled. We feel as though we're banished. Now, I'm going to tell you it broke David's heart. And a good friend of his saw just how distraught he was. That Joab saw how that his heart was breaking over Absalom because he could not fellowship with Absalom and and he felt like he couldn't bring him home because he needed to be put to death for killing Amon. And Joab goes and finds a woman at Tekoa. And he tells this woman, says, look, I, I want you to, don't put any oil on your face. I want you to go and look like one that's been mourning for a long while. And I want you to set this scene before the king. And I want you to find out what he says to do. Go and tell him that you had two sons. And these two sons strove together in the field, and one son killed the other son. And now the revengers of blood, family, have come to kill your other son. But if they kill that son, then there'll be no seed raised up in your family. And she goes before the king, and she rehearses all, all of this before him. This is what the king said in the 10th verse. And the king said, Whosoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to me. And he shall not touch thee anymore. Then said she, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, 
that thou wouldst not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he says, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. So he said, look, your son's going to live and I'll make sure of it. Because if somebody hurts him, we'll see to it they don't hurt anybody else. Then the woman said, let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my Lord, the king. And he said, say on. And the woman said, wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king does speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. <laughs> she said, if you can judge this matter regarding my situation in such a way, why can't you use the same judgment with your own son? And then the woman says this, for we must needs die. This statement is just as true today as it's ever been. We must needs die. I'm going to tell you, they can do all kind of things. to Boy, they sell all kind of stuff to try to prolong that event. <laughs> There's some folks that are old that look mighty young. But people do some crazy things to try to trick people into thinking they're younger than what they are. But you know, you can't get away from sin, folks. Not left to yourself. We must needs die. Well, how bad is the condition? You know, you went in there and got a bad diagnosis. The doctor, you'd say, well, just how bad is it? You know, what's the prognosis? For we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground. Now, I got news for you. I had a little calf. I say a little calf. When he was two years old, he weighed 2,200 pounds. And he was a Hereford bull. And I showed him when I was in the FFA. And, and I had his... Barn was down probably about 65, 70 yards from the house. And I had to tote water every day down there and fill that trough up because we didn't have water to barn. And I had a fence I had to cross to go through with two five-gallon buckets. So best process for approaching that is you set the buckets over, then you cross the fence. And I was going through there at one point in time, and I dropped one of the buckets, and the water spilled out of the bucket there in the lot. And you know, I didn't start trying to pick up that dirt and wring that water out of it. I understood that it was a lost cause. You, once the water's out of the bucket, there's no getting it back in the bucket, especially when you spill it on the ground. It's gone. Okay. He's setting forth here in Scripture. For we must needs die. And here's how bad it is. Whereas water spilt on the ground. There's no putting that back in the bucket. There's no cure in and of yourself to fix the problem we find ourselves in. There's no way to get the water out of the ground and back in the bucket. It's not going to happen. It says, for we must needs die and there's water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again, neither doth God respect any person yet. Yet doth he devise means that, look at this, personal pronoun, his banished be not expelled from him. 
You see this personal pronoun he is. A lot of times people read over that and they just pass right over it and don't pay it any attention. What I want you to understand is, brethren, that God has a people of every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe. And the reason they're his is the same reason that Jacob was his. Because he set his affection upon him. In blessing thee, did he not promise that? In blessing thee, I will bless thee. And in multiplying thee, I will multiply thee. He made that promise to Abraham. And I'm going to tell you, we're of the household of faith. are blessed with faithful Abraham. And the same promises is unto us. Yet he hath devised a means. Now this word means is a very interesting. You know, because when I was in second grade, there about second and third, I don't know. I learned if you made something plural, sometimes you put an S on it, sometimes you put an ES, depending on what the word was, right? So when you put an S on something, it makes it plural. But this word is a unique word in the English language, and this word means with an S is not plural. It is, however, singular. It is important that we understand there is one singular way in which his banished be not expelled. There's only one way. There are not multiple ways. This means is not plural means. It is singular means, which means there's only one single way that this water can be put back in the bucket. <laughs> there's only one way this is going to happen. Now let's look at it in nature. When you think about how that when rain falls, the sun shines, water evaporates, goes back into the clouds, and comes down yet again. That's amazing how that works, isn't it? You see, there's a means that water spilt on the ground can be gathered up, but with you and I it's impossible, but with the sun it's not. I'm going to tell you there's a means by which we, which must needs die, and our case is so bad there's no way we can possibly gather ourselves up again. We, his banished, are not expelled from him, but we're gathered home. And the greatest testimony of this, I'm going to turn and I'm going to share this and I'm going to close. I could have went so many different ways with this, but over in Hebrews, this means in which God has provided that his banished be not expelled. Because, brethren, I'm going to tell you, we need to be gathered again because we're as water spilt on the ground. In Hebrews, in the first chapter, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I got news for you. People can find a lot of ways to try to help the Lord do a lot of things. But God's word's very clear. The means by which his banished are not expelled, Jesus Christ gave testimony of this himself. He says, I am the way. That's singular. I am the means. That's what he's saying there. I am the way, the truth, the life. That's it. There is no other. And brethren, I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ accomplished this work, 
He didn't, not only did he not need your help to do it, your help would have been of no avail. Because why? We, left to ourselves, are as water spilt on the ground. But he, by himself, he has gathered us back up. He has purged our iniquities. And praise God, there's coming a day that he's going to come back and he's going to call us that second time. And he's going to call us forth out of the tomb. And we're going to go home to be with him in glory. Why? Because he had devised a means that his banished be not expelled from him. And we're going to be with him forevermore because of the gift of his darling son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he accomplished right by himself. Yes, he's worthy to be praised. May we praise him as we all. May the Lord bless us our prayer. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.